0: Hey everyone, Uh, I'm Molly ferry I'm a postdoctoral researcher working with Mark Seidenberg. And we are here today, Mark and Donna came back to join us to have a kind of follow-up conversation after our Sunday conversation. Mm -hmm. So Mark, do you wanna say a little more about what our plan is?
1: Yeah, you know, we're having this follow-up conversation because um, I think Molly and I were not Didn't think that our Sunday event really served the functions that we really want these discussions to serve, um, and that it was really a missed opportunity a little bit. And the the main thing is, you know, we seem to have left people. We seem to have violated the camp camp uh, campsite rule where you know we left the site messier when we left, then, you know, it was got there. Um, And we really, really do not want to be adding to people's confusion. We are trying to cut through a lot of the noise that's out there and get to things that are clearly and and confidently um, true. So uh, I I feel like because of the format, we weren't able to really discuss uh, things that were said. Uh, We had we got Zoom bombed and so we weren't able to integrate questions from the audience, which would have been really, really helpful then. And so, you know, it ended up being a situation in which we got a perspective from Susan Brady, who knows a great deal about these issues, but it was various assertions of an expert and then that might confuse an audience because they conflicted with the views of another expert. And, And we're trying to avoid this situation of competing experts and, and move to a different level at which we really know what we, what what is shared knowledge, what we really know to be true, what we have the solid foundations to build on, and and, and, and you know flag the things that are uh, less less well studied, less well less um, less definitive. Uh, get away from the things that really are small and and, and minor differences between people to focus on the major issues that really are going to make the most difference for teachers and kids. So we weren't really entirely happy with um, that event, and it was not because of uh, Dr. Brady. It was because the format did not lend itself to that the kind of exchange that would have been necessary to make sense of um, the discussion.
0: After a so, year of zooming, I've never been zoom bombed, and then it just it was yeah, it really threw yeah, me that, off. That I was, throws yeah, you know,
1: it, it so people had, had people started had questions, to, and
0: we weren't able to really get those in, and so we wanted to take yeah. this as a chance to actually address those questions, not leave people with questions, instead, actually address the questions.
1: So, so, so now that we've elicited a certain amount of uh discussion, uh on the internet. Um, We wanna try to sort of um, review where we're at and maybe um, turn down the heat a little bit because uh, we should be able to do that. Um, So let me just sort of um, talk about what a general concern that arose out of that discussion. So look, um, after a long period of, resistance. Many schools are starting to adopt materials that for instruction that are related to things like phonemic awareness and phonics instruction. And that is a good thing. That is an advance. And it's certainly an an advance over what we had before. It's justified by research. There's a door that's opening. We want to keep that door open. Mm -hmm. And you know, we think children are going to benefit from this change in, in, in orientation. However, you know, there are a lot of programs out there for teaching these, these kinds of things. People get a lot of guidance. Um, uh, some of them are big commercial programs, and there are other homemade things, and there are things on the internet, and so on. There's a lot of these programs, a lot of different approaches. And all of them are taken as presented as consistent with the science of reading. And in a sense they are, you know? So if you have a a curriculum that's focused on teaching kids about phonemic awareness, well, there's a lot of evidence that phonemic awareness is important for uh, becoming a reader in an alphabetic writing system. So yeah, there's science that supports that. Um, uh, Similarly, you know, phonics, yeah. It's important, science supports that. However, these programs, curricula, instructional materials are all doing things differently. And and they're they're based on different assumptions about how to teach the material. And they aren't all going to be equally effective. Uh, and, And in fact, they aren't all equally consistent with the research literature when you get kind of below the broad generalizations. So uh, as a researcher, somebody who looks at, you know, all of the relevant sort of research, um, I can look at the assumptions that these programs have and at least flag for people, this is what's really supported by research. It's really solid. Here's some things that are built into this one that really, you know, were additional um, uh, innovations by that author or, or team that don't have a lot of s- strong support and 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 so you know tr- pointing this out might allow somebody to be a more informed consumer so you know if you are in your school system school your classroom using a particular program and approach all of these programs have their strengths and weaknesses and if we can point out what those are then you as the teacher or parent or another interested party can make judgments about how to make use of those materials in your classroom with your kids. You know, from my perspective, looking in as a researcher on uh, these things, this looks like something that teachers do all the time, right? Tailoring many of these curricula have far so much, you get so much material to work with. Everybody has to pick and choose what they're going to use. Also, people supplement these materials by going online and sharing materials and so on. So the idea that you would want to tailor the use of these materials for your classroom, knowing something about their strengths and weaknesses, is the reason why we're taking a critical look at them. Not to pull the rug out from under you. So when, when someone raises a concern about a program that you happen to be using, does it mean you should stop using it? No, it does not mean stop using it. Don't stop using it until we have, have something that we know is gonna be better.
0: Nor what, are we what, saying it's harmful, right? I mean, we're, right, yeah. you're pointing out that like there are pros and cons, but they're all doing something that we know on the whole is a good thing. Yes. And- maybe there are better ways to be using your time, maybe there are certain little tweaks and focuses that would help kids more, but what you're doing already is a great foundation.
1: Yes, you're, so that's a really important point. You're not da- going to damage your kids by pursuing, continuing with a program, just because some aspect of it has been criticized. What we're more concerned about are lost opportunities, like, you know, Time that was spent on one kind of activity that really could wasn't necessary and could have been spent on something else because, after all, there's a lot to learn, right? So. um,
0: And we're all talking about that even more now in a time of learning loss during COVID.
1: Indeed, you know, time. I mean, trying to help kids recover from learning losses over the past year, get them back up to speed and and beyond. You know, doing things getting through the basics to be able to move on to the more advanced aspects of reading and literature and and literacy and and writing. We're all under sort of time pressure here. So uh, looking at what's essential, what's justified and and giving you maybe some some, uh, things to look for that might allow you to tailor the use of these programs to your, your classrooms. To make better use of them, that's kind of the purpose. That's the thinking behind criticism and critical analysis of these things. Does that seem reasonable to you, folks?
2: It does it, it, exactly. You know, when we have a curriculum, um, we we need to use it judiciously and and use it um, getting information from the in, from daily use. Is it reaching everyone? How is it reaching them? What can I do better doing an assessment on the kids that in the back row that aren't getting it, you know, they're not getting it. What else do I need to do to make it work for them? You know, that's what it's about. That's what the curriculum, it's a framework to provide you with guidance on what to do. And then you need to take it to the next level um, to make sure that you're reaching every single child in your classroom?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I wish there was a really great program that one could 100% rely on, to, because it we it's tried and true, tested and retested, and it is, like, guaranteed to work. We don't have that. And so it, it I mean, that would be a lot simpler for a teacher. But, um,
0: and that's a kind of a. We talk about this in the research field as like a consequence of how research is conducted. Is like people are not spending a lot of time focused on researching a specific program. They're looking at you know general things that kids need to learn and not comparing one thing to another. And so, some of the answers that you want from the researchers, unfortunately, just aren't there right now.
1: Yeah. So um, we we I I know I, I feel like we. We don't want to burden the teacher with having to make every decision about every day about everything. There, hopefully, there will be curricula that people can rely on. The ones that are out there now are certainly a framework, you know, that's that are that's useful. And again, we're looking at advantages, benefits over what we were doing before. However, at this point, you have to be a critical consumer, and I, th- I you know, it seems like that's the role of a teacher to to figure out what is going to how these adapt materials for their settings and for their kids and what Donna said. So um, so, so let, let me just, let me just, are we okay? I mean, let me just raise two, two general concerns. This isn't about any particular curriculum. So I had two concerns that I really wanted to try to engage. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not just like grabbing the floor so that we can only talk about my issues. And I didn't get heard last time. I mean, I'm sorry. I think there are two big issues that a lot of people are concerned about. Mm -hmm. One is the dosage issue. So, you know, we know what's too little in terms of teaching kids about the code, teaching kids about, you know, how print and sound work, teaching kids, to getting kids to the point where they develop a notion of, you know, phonemic structure and so on. We know what's too little because that's what was done before. However, We don't know what's enough versus too much, and you know there are costs associated with doing too much. It's time that could have been spent on other things, and also it's going to depend on you know the kid. Certain things kids are different in terms of the their backgrounds, the languages they speak, other things that are going to affect their progress. So some kids are going to need more, some will need less. So. This question of how much is the right amount for a particular for given for kids um, is it, really crucial. And my concern, looking at some of the popular c- curricula that are out there, is something like you know, people have concluded that there's t- too much is not enough. I mean, you know, there's a lot of explicit instruction about a lot of levels of um, uh, linguistic structure and a lot of. Uh, 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 detail, and um, it it takes time. And it is worth asking, how much is the right amount? We don't have the exact answer. However, we can provide some guidelines, we can provide some suggestions, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. Uh, A second concern that I really didn't get taken up at all, I wanna emphasize is the question as to whether the materials that we're putting out and using are suitable for all of our kids. Uh, in particular, anything that's related to phonology is gonna, effectiveness is gonna depend on how the kid talks. And in America, we have regional accents. People ask what, what words rhyme differs you know, how many phonemes there are in a word differs depending on how it's pronounced. And, uh, you know, the off-the-shelf materials really don't take that into account. And so you end up having, you know, activities, exercises, instruction that, that actually work much better for people who talk like we do,
2: mm-hmm.
1: three of us, uh, and, and less well for somebody who's from uh, the deep south side. Or, or a kid who speaks uh, African American English in Chicago. So, um, some kids who speak African American English in Chicago. So, this question of, you know, are these materials, as they're designed, working equally well for all children? I think is something that applies to. It. I, I think it applies pretty much across the board to these programs, and that may even be one reason why some kids are falling behind more often than others. So, I wanted to try to get some awareness of that growing, because that's not about anybody particular program, that's a general concern.
0: Okay. It relates, I think, to Donna's earlier point about the just like the differentiation that you do as a teacher where you're thinking about the kids in the back of the room who aren't getting it, but also thinking about, yeah, the background of the kids that you have may differ within your classroom even. And so what one group of kids is gonna need is gonna be different maybe than the other. And one size fits all
1: is not gonna be the solution for your whole class. Yeah, so I, I would flag the fact that Julie Washington, who's at University of California, Irvine now, and I uh, have a paper, an article that will come out in American Educator this summer, which discusses these issues. How to teach reading to African-American kids whose home lang- language differs from the yeah. language used in the books. And it deals with these issues like, are the materials and practices that we we're, 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 we assume mm-hmm. um, equally effective? And and what we conclude is, no, they're not, but here's some things that we can do. Um, okay, so what are the other things that have been arisen since Sunday uh, because of this, uh, this, this uh, imperfect exchange we had? Well, I
0: think going back to your dosage, kind of broad, how much is too much or what's enough? Like what is it that you are focusing on? Like what level of phonological awareness? So I mean, we're, we frame this as a conversation about phonological awareness, but really we've been talking about phonemic awareness and not the bigger chunks of language. And so this idea of do we skip all the previous bigger chunks or can we go straight to the phoneme? What, what, do, we, what do we have to do? Where do we start? At-
1: So let me see if I make sure I understand the the question. So there are various phonics programs out there. There are, you know, curricula that are associated with, that are are focused on developing phonemic awareness um, in particular.
0: Right. Which Um, is the one, the thing that came out of the, the National Reading Panel 20 years ago was the phonemic awareness, not the phonological awareness.
1: Right. So, um, but these programs differ in terms of how you, so here's the, so the idea is, what's the goal here? The goal is for the child to be able to read words quickly and accurately and understand them so they can put words together and understand texts. And, uh, you know, ultimately the the kid is supposed to do this, like, you know, automatically, and it's, it's supposed to be like a reflex. You look at the word and you just get it. So that's the goal. And, you know, they. Along the way, they should be show that they can sound out new words that they haven't seen before, and things like that. So the goal is always this reading thing, and then the the, the programs differ in terms of assumptions about how to get there. So like, huh. so so there's this debate about what what how, what where to start and 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 what 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 sequence of uh, what should be taught when.
0: Mm-hmm. And it, I think it fits into this. Like we are taught that we've all got that things should be explicit and systematic. And so it feels very systematic to go from word, syllable, onset rhyme, you know, move it to ever so smaller chunks and chunks till we get to the phoneme. But as you're saying, the goal is to get to reading and which, are, which of those chunks is the important one for reading.
1: So there, there is an idea out there. So there, this is where programs differ. And uh, this is where they make assumptions that are not actually supported directly by a, they may be supported by an individual study, but you have to look at the full range of findings. And the full range of findings does not say, it's really important that you master the big units and then get to the next smaller unit and then get to the next smaller unit. There's absolutely no justification for rigidly sticking to that kind of stepwise progression. And if there are programs that say you can't move on to, you know, uh, 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 phonemes until you've mastered all the syllables and you can handle all the onset, all the rhymes, uh, that's a mistake. There, there, there isn't any evidence saying that that's actually how things go. And in development, Generally, children do not proceed in a strictly stepwise manner. In fact, they're picking up pieces of this system, different parts of it, some, uh, in a kind of interleaved way. Some kids are getting phonemes very early, some phonemes very early. Some kids are getting some rhymes very early. Some kids are figuring out some syllables in some words where the syllable boundaries are clear. But you know what? It's not a strict stepwise progression. That's just not, in general, that's not how child development works. These things overlap far more than that, mm-hmm. and and so so I I'm not referring to any particular program here, but uh, if if you're assuming that if somebody's assuming that you need to show full math, you need to know demonstrate you know. Uh, I don't know what-
0: mastery piece, I think is- Mastery of, let's say, rhyming
2: before you can move on to syllable identification by sounds.
1: What what does mastery of rhyming mean?
2: That you can be able to produce your own rhyme. So what rhymes with fat and a kid could come up with cat.
1: So Donna, here's, you know what that depends on? It doesn't just depend on rhymes, does it? It depends on how big the kid's vocabulary is.
2: True, but that's also a substitution level um, phoneme um, activity. And if they can't do that, you know, that, that tells you there's another problem. But I think from what I've heard is that there are teachers that are stuck at the rhyme level with their kids and they can't move on because while well, my kid doesn't, my kiddos don't understand rhyme. So, you know, it's going to be really hard to teach them to read. Well, is is knowing how to rhyme dependent um, prerequisite for reading? Prerequisite for reading is it?
1: No. Exactly. It's a good sign. And the other thing is, um, oh my! First of all.
0: I'm just telling you what I hear in the trenches.
1: Right. Or, um, that,
0: or that some kids, you know, can't get to the phoneme if they really need the syllable. I've heard teachers say this to me, you know, they really need the syllable to help them figure out that words are made up of parts before I can get them to pay attention to phonemes. I need okay. them to pay attention to syllables.
1: I got to tell you, people may have their reasons for believing this, but it's not based on, it's, it's not based on, Research. So so look. It, it it makes a number of additional assumptions that are not valid. So what are the assumptions here like? Well, you, you need a big unit before you can discover the small units, but actually there's some research saying that kids have got, that there's sometimes that it goes in the opposite direction. The, the more important point is you're trying to get the kid to understand phonemes and graphemes because it's an alphabet and that's the level at which the sounds of words align with the spelling supports you're trying to get kids to phonemic level of being able to analyze just take mono single syllable words being able to break them into the phonemes is useful because that is relevant to how they're spelled and if you can make the connection between the two you're going to be able to read more quickly and accurately. So the real goal is getting kids to phonemes. If we were learning Japanese uh, kana, which is another kind of writing system that represents syllables, it'd be different. But English is not a syllabic writing system. It's an alphabet. And the level of sound that's relevant in an alphabet is phonemes. So, all of this preliminary activity is getting the kid to phonemes. Now, do you have to march through a series, a hierarchy, starting with a big one and then a smaller one and then a smaller one? Absolutely not. The question is what is the shortest path to getting the kid to phonemes? I should say, it doesn't mean that phonemes are the only thing to teach. You know, if you teach a kid about rhyming, So, you know, book, look, cook. On the one hand, you're being able to rhyme is something about the R-I-M-E, the rhyme of the word, the uk sound. But at the same time that you're learning about that those words rhyme, the kid is learning that the ending there, which we call the R-I-M-E rhyme, is the same. What's left over at the beginning? In book, it's phoneme. In cook, it's a phoneme. In look, it's a phoneme. So when you're teaching kids about, when kids are rhyming, yeah, they're learning something about the ends of syllables, but that's also the origins of their knowledge of phonemes because they're starting to pull apart words in a way that will not only tell them about the end of words, that's where words rhyme in English, perfect rhymes, It's telling. It's also the beginning of phonemic knowledge. So, if you look, there's the studies that have been done of illiterates are very informative here. So, uh, there are people in various parts of the world who are don't read, Um, and um, uh, they um, you can give them um, tasks that. Phonemic awareness tasks, you know, do these two words sound, start with the same sound? What you're referring to as a phoneme, like book and bat. Uh, people who are illiterate perform poorly on those tasks, but they, it's not that they can't do that at all. They can kind of tell about the initial sounds. They're terrible at identifying, do these two words end in the same sound? Because to really get that whole picture, you need print. So what I'm saying is when you're using spoken language and you're teaching kids about rhyming in particular, you're not just teaching them about one thing, you're teaching them about the word, you're teaching them about its internal structure and that internal structure is that M part, R-I-M-E, which is important, but you're also giving them information that's helping them to pull out the fact that there's a phoneme there. And if you then show them how the words are spelled, it will reinforce that. So, the point here is th- there isn't any rigid hierarchy of levels here. They're all nested within one another. A word consists of syllables and morphemes and phonemes, et cetera, onsets and rhymes, et cetera.
0: So, in fact, all that knowledge is kind of inter- is interconnected.
1: So, the, the learning like about the phonemes
0: fact. and the letters, the graphemes and phoneme correspondences, learning more about graphemes will help you learn more about phonemes.
1: Yeah. So two, po- two takeaways there. One is, I don't know what, whose program does this, but if there's one that is rigidly stepping through levels of linguistic structure like you know word structure like this, there isn't any justification for it from the basic research side of things. Moreover, there's no reason to Hank, Hank get hung up on the kid's mastery of, you know one level of structure. It's going to prevent you from moving forward towards the goal that you're really trying to get to.
2: And I think part of that, Mark, stems from uh, just lack of knowledge, teacher preparation. They just don't have they don't have research at their fingertips telling them what to do. You know, that's just not in our scope of practice. You know, we just don't do that.
1: But where do the where did the idea that you have to step, you have to have mastery of this before you can go to that? when really all we're trying to do is by get the kid to the level where they understand phonemes so that they can figure out phones how they're pronounced, learn those mappings, phonics, etc. Where Where did the additional idea that you have to go in these stages come from? Is that maybe it's a corruption of something that they from a Linnea Aries. She does have stages in her, her framework, but it's not as rigid as all this. It doesn't well, follow.
2: You, you do see lots of, step ladders with the different levels and maybe people make the assumption oh I have I can't
0: go here until I go here
1: it's not justified and so
0: I wonder too maybe I mean phonemes are hard they are like they're an abstract weird thing and maybe syllable clapping is like an easier activity an easier way to get kids paying attention to the internal structure of words and Especially if this is, I mean, another piece that we're going to talk about, maybe we can talk about it now, the piece of, should there be letters present? Are we doing phonological awareness with or without letters? As we've talked about, having some experience with letters helps you figure out that phonemes exist. And so if you're just teaching phonological awareness activities without letters, it's hard for kids to grasp onto and like, what is that phoneme? And so maybe it is kind of just like a natural consequence of, of phonemic awareness being taught without letters
1: so we got we got I think we got several things up in the air now so one is about teachers don't have access to the knowledge and um, I, I th- you know we could we could be helpful there the, and and there are some new charts and 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 you know suitable I mean there, there are new summary materials coming being distributed that I think will be helpful to people but um um there there we can get yes, it would be teachers do need to know understand these things not because a kid needs to know them all, but because it will help them decide what to do. The, my, my I want to say the idea that you have to have a certain level of mastery of a certain level of structure before you can go on, you know, it's like you have to finish first grade before you can finish go to second grade it's not it's not like that and very little in child development is strictly stage like um the 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 other issue is so so I, i'd like to know like where did those extraneous extra assumptions about how to teach come from you know it's like an example of how the science is says certain things and then it gets translated into much stronger assumptions about what to do in the classroom than the science ever said. Anyway, that one is in particular is questionable. Okay, what about, are these units of speech or are they units related to print or how should we be teaching these things? In the dark or while we're writing or what else? So that there's a lot of work on, uh, do you, do you have any comments? Well,
2: I can't tell you how many trainings right. I've sat in or conducted and I said, well, you know, phonemic awareness happens in the dark and, and now there's you know more evidence that if you start m- matching it to the sound, you're going to start that mapping process a lot sooner. And it's like,
0: I wish someone would have told me that.
1: Yeah, so... <laughs>
0: It it maybe goes back to your point you were kind of making too, Mark, of like the kids' knowledge versus the teacher's knowledge. So like this idea, or, or just like adult ability versus kid ability. So for us as adults, we're really good at phonemic awareness tasks in the dark because we've we've mastered print, we've mastered learning how to read, and so that really helps us have really advanced phonemic awareness skills. Um, but that's mm-hmm. because of our experience with print, and. That's-
1: Out. That's the that's the end result,
0: right? That does not mean that therefore instruction should be purely auditory.
1: Yeah. So you again, Donna, you wouldn't have done harm to the child. However, phonemes are not really properties of speech. They're kind of the conjunction of speech and print. You can get a little of it if you're illiterate, like you know, initial phonemes. Those are pretty clear but to get the full phonemic idea it really does take exposure to print there's a lot of evidence about that and moreover we know that the developmental progression is these two things come together at every level from beha- you know behavior to brain and and so th- the idea that you should be introducing kids to syllables and to phonemes and to onset and rhyme distinctions purely through speech before you can introduce them to print, that's that's not optimal. That is not ideal at all. You wanna link this stuff to print. Print represents these units. It represents phonemes best.
0: Help pull them apart because like that's right you know the speech stream everything is kind of like we talk about things being co-articulated we talk about sounds mushing together phonemes are not really distinct within a word when you say them and so having an individual character that represents each one helps you pull them apart
1: print is your friend print is print and speech print and speech they have to walk together they got to influence each other and you know when the kid is very young just word games and things like that is, are fine, but it's a it's a developmental process, right? Things change as the child develops. What works when the kid is three or four years old is not the same as what's going to be effective when they're in kindergarten or first grade. Pretty soon, it has to be linked to not only looking at print, but producing it, actually say, making the letters, reading them out loud, and so on. So. Um,
0: It goes back to that goal of why we want kids to have phonemic awareness is because it's an important part of learning to read, the reading, the spelling, the outcomes that we're really looking for. And so linking it to print is going to help us get there.
1: And
2: the sooner you do that, the better, instead of waiting...
1: Yeah, Yeah, like waiting, waiting until you pass one hurdle. I don't think so. That Mm -hmm. the question is, is your kid getting closer to reading as measured by things like whether they can read words aloud, whether they understand the words that they're reading, whether they can sound out new things, whether they're beginning to be able to say them with the right intonation when they're in sentences and so on. Is the kid moving towards that? Because that's and if they're not staying
0: I'd make a plug too for spelling. Coming from working with Rebecca Tree, when a spelling researcher, spelling—you know—can look. You can look at a kid's spelling and see what phonemes they're representing. Are they missing out on some phonemes? They're not hearing that. You know that medial. There's an extra consonant in there that they're missing. And um, well, yeah.
2: Louisa Moats says spelling is what is the result of what they're thinking in their brain, so that you know what they're thinking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. I mean, sometimes people make errors because they just kind of made an error on that. It's not a totally 100% reliable indicator, but it's helpful, definitely. And the fact that you have to produce the letters is a really good learning sort of experience if the kid gets feedback, right? Um, About whether it was correct or not. But um, uh, I think the point here is that sound and spelling are coming together and that they're really crucial to understanding the parts of each other, you know? And um, just trying to just get people off of the idea that there's some strict sequence here, because there isn't. I think most people will have noticed that these units are not entirely reliable. For example, syllables. Syllables in English are a mess. There are some clear syllable boundaries, you know? But there are other words where, where's the syllable boundary in camel? You know, there's two syllables, but where's the boundary? phonologists, linguists, actually have three different theories of where the syllable boundary is. You know, before the M, after the M, and like the M is in both syllables. Those are the three, 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 three theories. So, you know, uh, don't we can't get hung up on the units because language is messy, and there are always going to be these irregularities and so on. We're really trying to get the kid to the stuff that is most central to the goal of reading the words, and whatever you're doing to move that forward is gonna be valuable. What's the shortest path? I can't tell you that exactly. We're working on it. I mean, really, there's a lot of research going on now to try to see what's the actual shortest path.
0: And so I, a question that definitely comes up then if you tell people that they need to be using letters is, is that what they should always be doing or is there a place for you know people use these Movable tokens to try to help, you know, physically represent the sounds, or should they just skip straight through the letters? These are the kind of questions that are really kind of basic nitty-gritty questions that a teacher would love to know the answers to.
1: So I'm trying to be cautious in, in my in in trying to answer this. On the one hand, you know, I've been emphasizing the fact that, you know what the goal is, which is really getting to the things that are really relevant about writing, which is that, you know, the letters are corresponding to, to phonemes. But it doesn't mean you start there. It's like this analogy I did in my used in my book where, you know, you want to be a become like an Olympic diver. You don't start by doing the, you know, jumping off the high dive and trying to do the most you don't start with the goal. You may have to do things to get there. And um, um, so, um
0: but you're always keeping that goal in mind.
1: Yeah. So because I'm not only can... only only tell people about phonemes. I'm saying that's the goal. You're trying to get there. These other units are related to phonemes, and giving them that knowledge. But you know, they don't have to have some certain level of. They're not linguists. They don't have to have some perfect knowledge of you know how English phonology works. Um, sorry, did I make that? Was that helpful or was that confusing?
0: I mean, I think like to put it in practical terms, you know, thinking about like you want to spend a minute doing some syllable clapping, great. Like it, it just don't get stuck there. You want to spend some time. It, you think that your kids will really benefit. So like the thing about tokens versus letters, there's it's not a really researched research question. So we're not going to be able to give you an answer that's definitive. If you find that like really your kids are doing good at this moving the tokens try introducing letters like move them along don't get stuck in one you know one instructional level
1: yeah being dogmatic here about exactly do this and 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 only this is really i think something to resist here i mean i can't really speak to whether this using the you know the manipulables is effective or not i i I don't, you know, you'd have to compare it to what other activities could you be using and how does it compare to those? Um, but um, you know, I, th- I feel like we should be able to rely on teachers to be able to use some of their skills as teachers and as observers of the kids in their classrooms if they know what the goal is and have a clear picture of you know, where the kid needs to be getting, motivating them, engaging them, using a variety of activities. Don't get stuck on one thing because it's boring you know, I I feel like that's, isn't that what teachers are really, that's where their skills as teachers come in. They can, they can balance, they can, they can integrate different activities. They can move between them because that's actually helpful for the kid and keeps them engaged and really will move things along faster. Uh, it, It does mean just keeping your eye on what the ultimate goal
0: Donna, you're here as our, our representative teacher who you get with your Facebook group. I'm sure so many questions from the teachers. Are there things where we should be more clear about, things we should, we're missing talking about?
2: Um, I think the, the use of manipulatives to segment um, should be clear. I mean, everyone knows what an Alconen box is and they're widely used. Is that research-based?
1: I don't know what it is.
2: Well, because you're not a practitioner, right? Yeah. So, Elkonin came out with these boxes, um, and you and you could pull them down. So you're trying to find how many sounds, how many phonemes do you hear in the word? So you pull down a, you know, a it could be any marker or poker chip or whatever you're going to use, and you sound the word out. So let's say the word is spot, you're going to spot. So the child sees there's four boxes there. So there's four sounds. Okay, we use that a lot. Now, do we start substituting after pulling down and putting the letters in? I say yes. Sure. Because we're putting, we're, we're doing phoneme to grapheme matching at that point.
1: Yeah, I I think the question is there are a lot of things that you can do with um, sound-based games and activities and and their connections to print. And what I would ask is, you know, if those things are arranged, if you've got a good arsenal of those kinds of activities, maybe that would obviate the need for the manipulables, which are kind of a side, kind of a Kind of thing to me, but I, I can't say I I not can't speak to any research on that particular use of manipulables. We're trying to get the kid to certain kinds of knowledge. There are some gaps in you know studies that really assess. Well, is that a better method than some other one? Teachers are going to have to be tracking. Are their kids making progress towards where they need to get to be able to read? And if something they're not getting there, then maybe there are some reallocation of time and effort is, is called for. I mean, I, I I don't know what else to really can, what else can be said. There. Um the history I'm using, you know, Cuisinier rods, which they had when I was growing up for, for math um, and, and other things of that sort. You always have to ask. Well, there's the extra step involved in learning to use that and then switching to the real code. And you have to ask if the benefits there outweigh, you know, what, how far you would get by spending that same time doing other tasks that are related to spelling and, and sound and meaning. Um,
2: well, we, I, we call that scaffolding now. It's yeah. a way to provide a level to help aid the person to get to the next higher level. And so using the manipulatives is a scaffold. And then, and then when you start substituting the letters, you know you're at the next level. Um, it, it seems to work.
1: It may work. I, I can't you know I, it's beyond things that I actually have any knowledge of. Um, uh,
0: but the way you're describing it, Donna, is that like if you're scaffolding accurately and correctly, you are moving a kid along. you're saying, okay, great you're you're able to move these four tokens for this let's start introducing the s here and let's see what other words can you find the s in these other words and and you're moving them along and
1: yeah you- i mean it might be effective or it might be like training wheels where you know yeah people learn to ride bikes using training wheels but there are other methods that are a little bit more direct and closer to the actual activity goal and so on and they don't have the extra load of you know having to
0: it may differ kid to kid, you know, for some kids, it's a really might be critical for them to be able to have something to interact with for them to help them focus and for other kids not. It's.
1: Yeah, I would say the manipulables, I mean, definitely, I don't want to speak to the manipulables. I think the main point is uh, there are certain things you can learn from um, speech itself, the rhyming and other other ways that the word, sounds of words overlap. There's a certain amount you could learn from that, but it becomes a lot clearer when you actually have print there because print does represent that the that, that sound units. And so get to print as soon as you can.
2: And I what, think that's a great place to, add, to end. <laughs> get to print as soon as you can.
1: Oh, I think people are trying hard and, you know, I, there's no, as this is progress after all, um, but I I really want to move us to the next level in terms of being effective with the most kids we can and also making it easier for teachers to succeed. So there's more work to be done. But that's good. That gives, gives us things to do. Yeah. What do you think, Molly? Well,
0: I think we've hopefully address some of those burning questions, some of those debates that are happening out there, which is good and was not our intention to cause there to be debates. Um, so hopefully we have-
1: and We'll follow up on these things as we go on for sure. Yeah, because- right, This isn't the end
0: of a conversation now. Okay. Uh, thanks Sounds for joining us, Donna. Thanks, Marie and Mark.
1: Thanks right. to everybody who's out there listening.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Take care, bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this reading meeting recording. You can find more information about past and future reading meetings on our website. We hope you'll join us for future meetings.